when we were pastoring in Wisconsin, um, Don and I had been there for, I don't know, probably seven or eight years at this time. And our church community that we, we had transitioned in and started pastoring at um, was this really small small church in the small community of 1,200 people. And, and we, you know, started out with about 25 people in the church community. And we just kind of were doing our church stuff. And, and this, this couple um, came to faith uh, around maybe our six-year mark. And they, they came to faith because they had, you know, they really hadn't been in church a whole lot, but they were like, oh, I'm going to figure out this, this Jesus thing a little bit and started hanging out with us a bit. And as they read the Bible, they really started to have this, like, this real strong conviction that they needed to be more involved in, in sharing their faith. And so I remember one of them came up to me and was like, hey, I got this idea um, that I, I want to I wanna carry out. And he's like, you know, most of my friends that aren't church think all the church people are weirdos. And I, you know, he, I mean, he was being like really weird and kind of judgy. And I was like, no, that's never true, ever. And, um, but he, you know, he is kind of like, you know, I want to, I really want to, I want to connect my friends to like these church people. I, I don't know how to do that. He's like, so we got this idea. We want to, we want to throw an ice cream social. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, what's that? <laughs> and he's like, we're, so I want to just invite all of, all of our friends and then we're going to invite a bunch of our church friends and we're going to get them all in my backyard and just hang out together. And if we do that, maybe they'll get to like kind of meet each other. And, and it was really cool. So we got there and it was in June or July. And in Wisconsin in June or July, it is probably 95 degrees, but it's like 95% humidity, humidity. So the ice cream, we're all enjoying it. And it's really great. And it was really cool because I remember I was sitting on the porch and I was just watching and it was like, there were just dozens of people all over this, this area all interacting. And it was like church people with non-church people. And they were all talking and getting to know each other. It was a really, really beautiful thing. And, and I think that's kind of like an embodiment of what we've been talking about the past few, few uh, you know, weeks. About this idea of meals being, being used by God to help people come to know Jesus. You know, it was also at that, as a little segue, a little side, side note. That was the... The, the day that Don made a huge decision for our family. So up until that point, we had three daughters. Uh, and I was, you know, daughters are... I'm, I got words. I was going to say awesome. Because they were like, you know, they were really young at the time, and they're great, and we were really happy. And three kids at that time was like, woo, so many. And, uh, and so we were, I remember on the, I was on the porch, this is a totally sidebar, I was on the porch and I was watching all these church people interact with all these non-church people and I was like, oh, this is so cool. And Dawn was holding this baby from one of the people that were there and she looked at me and she's like, oh, isn't this baby cute? And I looked at Dawn and I was like, oh, it is so cute, we should totally have another one. Like, I was totally kidding. Like, obviously I don't want diapers again, Right? And what she heard was, we should have another one. And so then, like, three months later, I'm on a camping trip with my parents and my, my daughters. And we were in this place where there was no cell phone coverage. And we had to take a ferry to this island. And I'm on the ferry, and we're driving back from our three days of camping. And all of a sudden, I get, like, five voicemails from, from Dawn. And she had to stay back because she was working at this, at this um this place, and so she's 
Her first voicemail was, Luke, this is Don. I need you to call me right now. I'm like, oh, man. So, you know, go to the next one. Luke, call me right now. It's very important. Oh, man. Next one was, I'm not kidding. Call me. And I haven't had cell phone coverage at all this whole time, right? So then finally the next one is, Luke, I'm pregnant. Call me back. So I'm like, and I, I'm, with, I'm with my parents, our two kids, and I'm just like, my face just got white, and my parents are like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, like, ah. Oh. And so I called, this is the best part, I called Don. I'm like, I just got your messages. And she's like, I can't talk right now. <laughs> hangs up on me. I'm like, what? <clears throat> Here's the deal, though. On that day, I found out that she was pregnant with our son, Cyril. And so we got, our, we got a boy, and we have another one after that too, but that was the day, and I don't think Cyril's in here right now, maybe he is, but he turns 12 this Tuesday, and I was just thinking about that this week, because it was like, it was all because of that dang ice cream social, uh, you know? But as we've been saying, you know, we've been talking about this idea of having um, meals as a way to discover and to communicate grace and community and hope. And, and today I want to lean into a passage of scripture in Luke. We've, we've been spending all of our time in Luke, Luke, the gospel of Luke, and we've been noting how um, Jesus himself said that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, but he also said the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and that is how he did his missions, his, his ministry. And so today I want to I look at Luke 14 and lean specifically into God's mission. And what's been really fascinating through each one of our texts, if you've been here every week for the last, last month, you'll notice that all of the texts really haven't been just about one theme. Like, like certain passages, certain, certain passages from Luke that we've been looking at help us see grace. That maybe is the primary theme there, but it also shows that Jesus is building a community. And the text that was showing us that Jesus was building a community also showed us that he's building a gracious community where people can experience love and mercy. And so what you're going to see today is that the, the, the theme of our text is about mission. It's very specific about the type of mission that Jesus came to, to carry out and to invite us into, but you also see these little themes of grace and community and mercy and love. And so it seems almost redundant in the Gospel of Luke. I, I hope you see that because I think if you're like me, you need to have something hit you over the head a lot before you get it. Anybody in the room connect with that? Right? It's like I just need to be, I, need, I just need the Lord to sometimes speak in, in many ways to communicate that. So Luke chapter 14 Verses 1 through 24, we're going to read. And these are the words that we, we read here. It says, One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, Is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him? Again, they could not answer. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. 
When you are invited to a wedding feast, feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I'm going to read that one more time. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? Jesus says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, Don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. <laughs> That's the only one we all connect with. That's the bad. We're like, oxen? I don't get the oxen, but marriage, I get. Okay. Jennifer. Okay. <laughs> all right. Where are we at? Okay. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. I'll I'll tell you, every time I've read this text, and I've been reading this text and and just thinking about it, that last part is like, it's just, because it really does reveal the heart of God. You know, I I just think that we have a tendency, it's just human nature to where we, we, we're so quick to build up walls or, or to judge other people by the way that they look, act, dress, talk, etc. But when you really want to understand the heart of Jesus, this is it, folks. Listen to what he said. He says, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. That is God's heart. And so there's a couple of questions I've been thinking about over the years. You know, when I think about this text and, and I wrestle with kind of like, what does this have to do with the church? And, and I, I think a couple of questions that come to mind for me are, what are the kind of things that you associate with a party? Like when you think of a party or a festival or a feast, or a banquet, what are some of the things that you think about? Okay, so, I mean, let's just throw, would you agree, fun? (laughs) 
Have any of you ever been to a party? Let's start there. Yeah? Like fun, right? There's a lot of fun, relationships. Uh, if you invite me to a party and it doesn't have food, rescind the invitation. But parties have food, they have fun, they have people, they have relationship. It's like there's not, there's, hopefully there's no anxiety. It's just a place where people can gather and can, can be together and can celebrate. Are you with me? So think about some of those things about a good party. Okay, those are the things that we, we need to just put on one hand. But then on the other hand, what are the things that people often associate with church? Honestly, like think about some of the negative things that people feel about church. Judgmental hypocritical, I can't hear you, plain, boring, not the party. Yeah, I mean, just think about this. So how can we make our gatherings as followers of Jesus feel more like a party? That's the questions that I've been thinking about. And so I want to spend just a few minutes here leaning into summarizing the parable of the great feast, which we just read. Um, And I want to just talk a little bit about what exactly Jesus is doing, because Jesus uses parables. And I love the fact that when Jesus was speaking, most of the time he just told stories. I love that, because I think that that helps helps connect with people uh, quite a bit more. But there's a number of things that we can note in this parable that will help us understand Jesus' point. The first one is this. Who's the man? The man who prepares a banquet in this passage represents God. That's what we have happening in this passage. And then you have the servant, and the servant represents Jesus, the messianic, the anointed one, the the Jewish fulfillment of all those promises, and he's sent from God. That's who the servant represents. And then you have the invited guests, and they represent the religious leaders who reject the banquet and insult the host. Pause for a moment here. How many of you have noticed when you're reading the Gospels how many times the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of their day literally insult Jesus right to his face and they constantly are rejecting the things that he says? It's all over the place. And there's something about being being a legalistic hypocrite that, that causes people to be unable to actually see the work and activity of God in very specific ways. And that's what's happening here. There's these invited guests and they keep, they keep on saying they're too busy. They have other things that are more important. And then number four in this text, we have the second group that is invited and they represent the outcasts of Israel and Gentiles or non-Jewish people who are urged to join God in his banquet. And this fourth group if you have to look between group number three and group number four here, is the group we want to be a part of. We want to be a part of the poor, the blind, the crippled, and the lame, because if you read the Gospels, you realize that those things are not just physical disabilities. They also represent spiritual attitudes in the New Testament. The spiritually poor are people who realize that they have nothing to offer for their salvation, Spiritually crippled people, I think, recognize that they are powerless because of sin. Spiritually blind people recognize that we are unable to see the truth about Jesus without God opening up our eyes. And spiritually lame people recognize that we are unable to come to God on our own, and that's why we need to have grace. And this is what's really interesting about reading these passages in their context is that all the Pharisees, what they did 
is they essentially took portions of the Old Testament law, they interpreted it, and their interpretation and application helped them reach the conclusion that God was not interested in having relationships with those who were poor, crippled, blind, or who were outside of the the in group. And so they would be excluded from the messianic banquet according to their tradition. And that's why they treated those type of people in very negative ways. But here's what's really interesting to note. There's There's a passage of scripture in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus goes to the temple and he walks into the outer courts and he sees a whole bunch of people selling things and trying to make money off of people coming to worship. And it's, it's the, the section of the Bible we call where Jesus gets angry and turns over a bunch of tables. Any of you ever heard that story? You know about that, right? And so if you haven't, this is what happens. Jesus walks in, he sees all these tables and in, in, in obstacles that are preventing people from entering into the temple to worship. And Jesus Jesus gets really angry and he starts turning the tables over and, and he's, he's driving these people out of the temple and he says, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. And it's very fascinating because what had happened is it was all these religious people who were, who were building this out. They, they had built this area up. And, and what happens is Jesus comes along and he removes those barriers. He turns over the tables And as soon as he does it, all of the cripples, all of the blind, all of the lame, they all started coming to Jesus right after that because Jesus spent his entire life seeking to remove barriers that kept people from relationship with God. The Pharisees always excluded those whom Jesus thought should be invited. Jesus invited those whom the Pharisees excluded. And so when we look at this parable, we need to notice that the last part of it closes with Jesus saying this, my banquet. At my banquet, Jesus essentially is going to invite everybody, and he wants to eat with all people no matter where they are in life. And so there's some really interesting things about this passage of Scripture that I think if we understand it in its context, we can see what Jesus is doing here. And one thing is that we need to note that Jesus' meals were very intentional. We've seen that over and over again. If you've been a part of the vineyard and you've heard me teach at all on any passages from the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus is always intentional with what he's doing. And so here, these meals that Jesus is sharing with other people, what he's doing is he's, he's trying to demonstrate counter-cultural missions. He's doing everything upside down because in the ancient world, the ancient world was governed by reciprocity, this idea that if you scratch my back, I will Scratch your back, right? And so oftentimes when people would invite somebody over for dinner, the idea was I'm hoping that you would invite me over for dinner too. By the way, I would like to just go on record that if I have ever invited you over to my house to eat, I do expect an invitation to your house. I believe in reciprocity, okay? But I, I, I do, I think in many ways our lives are really similar too, right? We generally eat with people like us. It just happens to be the way that the way that the world seems to function. And that's why Jesus' counter-cultural missions is so important. His meals were different. The way that Jesus ate broke down the distance between the rich and the poor and those who were inside and outside. And there's two things that I think we can learn from these meals, from these meals. And this is where we're gonna be like, Luke, you've said this a lot. That's right, I have. And I'm hoping we we can really see this. The first thing is this. 
Jesus was a friend of sinners and he was compassionate without being patronizing. And that I think is important because when Jesus ate with sinners or, or the people who were outside of the social circles, what he was essentially saying is he was saying, these are my kind of people. These are my kind of people. He didn't keep them at a distance or create barriers as he served them. And I think there's an, an important social dynamic that we can learn from this because oftentimes when we're serving people who are perhaps uh, less fortunate than us, we kind of give them this, this vibe that's a little bit patronizing. And we, don't, we, we, we give off this vibe of, I'm here to help you because I have it all together. And I have found in my life there, that patronizing people is not effective for missions. <laughs> can I say that again? Patronizing people is not effective for missions. Amen? It's, it's just not at all. And so rather than, than being judgy to people, I think it's way more effective if we actually have meals with people and we enter into a, into a peer situation where we're sharing meals together and I'm sharing my life and my struggles because people are far more open to share their struggles if they know that you will share their struggles as well. A lot of this is connected to the idea that I don't think people like being projects. Is there anybody in here likes being projects for somebody else? No, it's like the worst thing, isn't it? And so Jesus didn't do that. That's what I think is really important to see. Jesus was an actual friend to sinners. And he was compassionate to them. And he didn't patronize them. He loved them. And so we can be like that as well. And then the second thing that we see in this text is that Jesus was huge on invitations. Everywhere in this, in this banquet, this parable feast, this parable, we see him inviting. That's the emphasis. In fact, you can look right here. This is, this is a, a wordle or a word cloud. I took all the words in this passage and ran it through this word cloud. And you can see what are the primary words? Invited, invite, come, banquet, table, and our favorite word, Jesus, right? And that's what Jesus is trying to, trying to encourage us to lean into is being a community that is invitational. Folks, I've said this many times, but I truly believe this, that people are one invitation away from encountering God. They are only one invitation away from encountering God for the first time. And so we need to understand the power of hospitality because hospitality, extending hospitality to people is the way that Jesus works to communicate grace. Uh, extending hospitality through sharing meals is the way that Jesus helps bring people into community. It's a way for us to be able to communicate hope to people when people are down and they need to have encouragement. And then as we see right here, this is how Jesus did mission. He had table fellowship he had banquets, and when he talked about the future, he said that one day there's going to be a great banquet and everybody is invited. So let's do some math for a moment, and let's stand up together. I hate math. I really do. When I was, when I was a kid... Um, I just really always struggle with math. I just was not good at math. But there are, there are helpful things about math for, for us. We have, on average, most people eat three, three meals a day. Some of us eat eight. We're not going to talk about that. 
So there's three, right? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So three meals a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. Okay? Think about that. Three meals a day, seven days a week, and there's 52 weeks a year. And what that means is that we have 1,095 opportunities for mission. If we really are seeing what Jesus is doing in the Gospel of Luke, then we will see that all of these moments where we are gathered around a table, or if we're just having a cup of coffee, or if we're, we're, we're having a dinner meal, all of those are opportunities for us to be able to join Jesus' mission and help people experience grace, to be welcomed into community, to be given hope, and that's how Jesus has called us as followers of him to carry out our mission. And I, I just believe this with all my heart. This is the most organic way for our church to grow. Like we could give away cars and get 100 people here maybe. We could. But what you win people with, you have to keep people with. And if we are winning people to Christ through relationship, that's something that we can keep people with, isn't it? Amen? And so it's about relationship and community. That's really what I think Jesus is challenging us to do. So let's close our eyes for a minute here and wait on the Holy Spirit. And to see maybe if he might have some things for us to lean into for, for a moment. And Lord, we, we often pray one of our favorite prayers, which is, come Holy Spirit. And we don't pray those words because we think that that's a magical word that makes you show up because we know that you are here with us. The Bible teaches us that your spirit dwells in each one of your people, and that we have the indwelling presence of you, Jesus. And so our prayer when we pray, come Holy Spirit, is just to, is, to pro, is to publicly state that we would like to see your work. We are inviting your work right now. We would like to see the activity of your kingdom in our, our gathering right now. So, Lord, would you speak to us right now? There are a lot of people in this room who, who are going through challenging things, and there's others that are maybe coasting through life right now, and there's others who are maybe unsure of their, their, their future. They don't know what decisions to make. There's others, Lord, who maybe are really struggling with finding their their place, their purpose, their, their reason for being. And Lord, before we respond to any of the things that you may be stirring our hearts right now, I just want to pray that for all of those different needs, those different places that we are in, that more than anything, above all other things that 
could influence us and impact us, Lord, that you would help each person in this room to know that first and foremost, we are objects of your love. We are people who you love and that you are eager to have a relationship with. And so, Lord, as we stand here and, and posture our hearts before you to hear from you, Lord, would you help each one of us to do two things in response to this, this message, Lord? Would you help us, number one, to understand that we are part of the target of Jesus' mission, that he loves us so much and wants to have a relationship with each one of us. That he's inviting every single one of us into his community to experience his radical, upside-down grace. To be a part of his future banquet. And number two, for us to understand that we are invited not only to experience that grace, but to receive that grace, to be filled up by that grace, that love and that mercy, and then to turn around and give it away to the world around us. So would you help us to see the obstacles that are preventing us from those things? And so there's just one thing that I, I have a sense that the Spirit wants us to lean into this morning. Is I, I just feel like there's a number of you right now in this room who, you know, when we're praying these words and when we're talking about, you know, being able to focus ourselves on God's love and His grace and His work, and also thinking about the world around us, it just feels like there's just some distractions in your life, and you're feeling like, oh man, I just, I can't really get past these things. I, I, I'm distracted. There's some obstacles. There's some obstacles for you understanding God's love for you, and there's obstacles that are preventing you from being able to extend that grace and love to others. And if that's you this morning, we would love to pray for you. I'm not going to have you come forward right now. I'm just going to say this. If that's you this morning and you, you're like, yeah, I got some things that are distracting me right now. I got some obstacles. I am going to ask you just to put your hand up right now. No one else is looking around right now. This, just, just to let me know that, yeah, that's, that's me right now. I'm feeling some distractions in life. Anybody else? And I, I just sense that there's a, a couple more people that you're so, it's like you're so, the sense I have is that you're so stuck with these distractions that you're not even able to acknowledge. It's like you need to be, you need to be freed from even that. And I'm going to pray right now for you as well. If you in your heart know that you're stuck in, the, in those spaces, the good news is that Jesus is sovereign over all things and can work through that. And so I pray in the name of Jesus right now for, for anybody in this room who has self-identified as people who are feeling distracted or have obstacles, who even know it or don't know it, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would free them from those obstacles and those distractions. 
And that right now, in the name of Jesus, you would begin to bring an awareness of their, their identity in you, Jesus, and the opportunities that they have to make a difference in the lives of other people. I pray that in Jesus' name. And now, Father, as we transition from this space of gathering together as a community, a collective group of people who are united by the Spirit and, and centered on you, Jesus, and your kingdom, I do pray that this week we would each experience your grace every day, that you would help us to stay engaged with your scriptures and in prayer that you would help us to love on others and to extend all of the things that you have given us to other people that we come in contact with. We pray for our young, we pray for our middle-aged, we pray for our, our vintage group too. We ask that you would continue to work in each one of their lives. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. All of God's people who agreed said, amen. Folks, thanks so much for coming. I got two things really quick. If you see my son, Cyril, please harass him. Number two, Kyler and Crystal Burke are right here. And if you know who they are, you should go give them a big fat hug and a high five and rub Kyler's beard. See you next Sunday. <laughs>